Welcome to the eGovernance Academy podcast to discover the future of governance. eGovernance Academy has assisted digital transformation globally in more than 130 countries. Our experts will share their insights and worldwide examples on how digital technology could benefit every society. Tune in for the Digital Government Podcast every Wednesday. Welcome to the Digital Government Podcast presented by the eGovernance Academy. I'm Federico Plantera, journalist, researcher, and uh, today with me, I have Linnar Wieck, Program Director of Smart Governance at our offices. Welcome, Linnar. Hello. Or better, welcome back, because there are some things that we already discussed in some of the past episodes, but today what we noticed is that even though digital transformation, yes, has happened throughout different decades, basically, in the past uh, 30 years, now, at the beginning of this year, we were already expecting and making plans, let's say, for the next uh, for the next decade. But what we saw and that we could not expect is that a pandemic happened. And with the pandemic, digital transformation sped up dramatically. So 10 years of change took place in one year. What are the... Let's start with very briefly outlining the new trends that we that we have seen and that we can expect to see in the next few years in digital transformation. First of all, I agree very much that this year, 2020, has been an amplifier for digital transformation all around the world. It reflects the fact that we had technological capabilities already in place to be utilized, and we also witnessed that the governments when taken into the extreme circumstances, can make very fast decisions for digitalization of different processes. Around the world, we witnessed the fact that schools were closed and public offices were closed. However, society needed to continue the functioning, and different countries found a very different solution for that. And to a certain degree, those digital solutions which were implemented ad hoc during the 2020 are embedded already into a deeper grounds of society and are establishing a new normality, which is uh, how governments, how society is using digital technologies from now on. We believe strongly that uh, the digitalization of processes is only emerging right now, but the willingness and readiness is clearly established. I see this is already like a key term that you mentioned, the new normality. We heard a lot about this topic of the new normality in the past months, but for what concerns digital transformation, what makes us think or understand that we're not just talking about a situation of emergency for what concerns this sector and these topics, but actually of a new normality? It means that the digitalization of the workflows and processes inside the public administration have been taken up to the speed where it is uh, irreversible process. Nobody is seeking how to move back safely and quickly to a paper-based bureaucracies, but uh, the processes which have been digitized are becoming more and more efficient now and more user-centric, meaning that no government offices are thinking how to overcome 
from the potential uh, echo waves of pandemic by moving back to the old normality. But they are seeking for the further digital investments, further user centricity, and more efficiency, which means actually that those governments which were in its digital maturity levels at the so-called 2000s or 2010 paradigm, when they were trying to establish an internal procedures, internal regulations, and make sure that the digital investment in-house is fair. They have now been switching very quickly and rapidly to end-user efficiency and to the organizations which are delivering the service over digital means from now on to forever. So nobody is seeking for shifts uh, where they can move back to the paper-based bureaucracy, paper-based decision-making system, but they are rather seeking for how to utilize and amplify that uh, new digital ecosystem in a much further way. And it's interesting that in any case we use terms like nobody because we are actually talking about that general transformation that is touching upon everyone, that is involving everyone, that goes beyond the public services. But at the same time, we need also to pinpoint, let's say, the salient features and as if in a bit of a matrix, let's say, visually speaking, uh, of what are the macro macro categories of reference, let's say, that we need to take into account when we're talking about this digital transformation that has been uh, sped up so much and that is actually happening in the next few years. So if we were to pinpoint indeed, like, three main, main trends and briefly outlining them, what would they be? Those three trends are not uh, invented just in 2020 and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and lean us uh, towards an, uh, an unknown uh, horizons. But uh, those three trends, which I see most critical ones, uh, which have not just emerged, but which are already establishing a new practices are, first of all, people-centricity. And in people-centricity, what we mean is that all the institutions and all the organizations have understood that people are the center of their business, both in terms of the expertise, the specialists, uh, the, the functional managers, and people working inside the organization, but also, and most importantly, the users of the services. They are the key in digitalization of processes, and that means also that uh, the institutional and, um, and organizational solutions stand by, and instead of that, there are emergence of the user-centric in both terms, my stuff, user-centric, but most importantly, the, the wider societal user-centric approaches. Second big trend, what we can see very clearly, is independence of locations. Independence of locations in terms of your digital infrastructure, your operations, and also the technologies and platforms which uh, 
what you are using or what your your users are, are preferring. You need to deliver the services wherever your users are and on whatever platform or technology they are using. In terms of infrastructure, a most interesting trend uh, was established, not just a trend, but also as a new normality already, if we may reuse that word, governments who were very skeptical about uh, deploying platform services and cloud-based applications found a need, starting from video conferencing, ending up with document management systems or different other communication systems to move to the cloud and to the distributed cloud and platform services. So it was a huge year of the distributed cloud and platform services integration to the public administration, activities all around the world. And third aspect, which is very important also, is a resilient uh, delivery and resilient operations, which requires an understanding that um, if we have most of our operations becoming delivered via digital means and channels, it requires also a different type of uh, cybersecurity and a different type of design of the services. And that all, together, those three, people-centricity, independence of locations, and uh, resilience on your delivery, are actually based on the grounds of uh, not an, a high research and development-based innovations, but they are actually something which we may call a combinatorial innovation or, or reusing a Lego bricks which are already existing to make my best e-government experience. Mm -hmm. And um, combinatorial uh, also in combinatorial innovation also because in any case the different governments of course, we're, we're speaking from a public sector perspective, but different governments have the different levels of digital maturity. They have maybe preferred to go for like one way in one specific sector or like prioritizing, let's say, certain digital projects over others. But this is in any case a time when with a more encompassing view of these trends of digital transformation, they can also, uh, they can also actually start this path on... Uh, in other fields that maybe have been neglected so far and then maybe the pandemic itself has shown basically has shown them to be relevant and uh, that require intervention now we outlined these three but let's go one by one let's say through them so for example the first that you mentioned is uh, people centricity, uh, which is about user centricity. Yes. Okay. So when we uh, we need to use the term user and not just the term citizen because we are talking about the stuff and the people. So the end users and also the people who, in any case, need to make the service uh, function and those who are still involved, let's say, in the public administration to that extent. This this element of the of the people centricity. Uh, touches upon different points in any case. So what, what are these points and what, what can we say more about this topic of the people centricity? Also about maybe something that we need to put even more attention on within this macro category, such as, for example, the topic of uh, internet behavior. Um, 
I would like to start by uh, phrasing out uh, the importance of something which we sometimes call user experience or staff experience and the strategic approach which governments and also bigger enterprises around the world um, deploying is something which may be called a total experience strategy, which means that you need to take into account other IT systems which are using your services for their experience, other institutions which are using uh, uh, and people working in other institutions which are using your services, your own stuff, and also in the same time, your very, very diverse end-user uh, community. So total experience is a new uh, strategic approach towards that. Also, we have seen in many countries raising the understanding how um, uh, societal behaviors can be described uh, uh, not only based on the data we have on the databases, but to reach out to different other service platforms and learn more. It is dangerous in a sense when government is not disclosing publicly how they are obtaining the information and data about particular end users or, or people in your society or in societal groups. For example, they are, if, you, if you are using for the purpose of uh, monitoring the self-isolation or the different uh, movements inside uh, your country and society and using uh, different other data uh, sources which uh, are kind of outside of your disclosed sources. That is creating a tension in society and that is something which governments need to be very transparent. What data, how they are obtaining and what decisions are they building based on those uh, data sources which uh, they need to disclose first and then to analyze second and then to make um, decisions and communicate those decisions. Otherwise, the Internet of Behaviors, as we may call it, is about to become a new beast, a new source of threats uh, in society, building up uh, less trust to government than we may actually deserve because governments are also delivering in a good faith most of those services. Yes, and on the point of the retrieval of data and the sources from which governments can get their data to, to, then, uh, to then deploy basically for offering the public services or maybe also like enforcing certain policies, that is like a, a whole other topic that we, can, that we can for sure like keep for another episode and I'm sure that we will do another episode on that. Uh, but for example, the, on the topic of the UX approach instead... That is that is something that, of course, like mm, gained quite a lot of relevance, uh, especially in the in the private sector when uh, we're talking about products or when we're talking about services that are offered by private companies. But at the same time, in the private sector, for example, or from a private sector perspective, you can uh, sort of pick your own target or identify one target market, one segment of the market that that is like your target user. Governments cannot do that. So governments have to apply the UX approach 
indistinctively to the whole population because all the whole population is users is could be a user so uh, the services need to be as accessible and uh, accessed <laughs> as much as possible basically by the users what what can we say on this point is that does that make the task for governments more complicated let's say to implement this ux approach i agree governments can't pick the user but governments can and should pick a relevant and most appropriate and most accessible interaction channels for the different user groups. And uh, that is something which is also um, trending on the horizon and can be described as a multi-experience or multi-channel experience where you design your service to meet the different user expectations and preferences of the different user groups. When a couple of years ago, governments were thinking about how to address everybody, then it was about to build a one single portal with one single type of modified, um, mediocre, uh, design experience so that everybody could come and should come to use a digital service via that particular channel. This was not to succeed and this needs to be and is more and more being replaced with a multiple user interfaces which meets the particular user need. For example, if I need to change my resident address or permanent address in the government registries. There may be a number of different ways, including also a face-to-face interaction with civil servant, a paper-based interaction, but also with a very easy to use a mobile or internet or digital-based solution. So it's a similar also with a digital identity. And good example is a way how the same digital authentication, which is government provided and assured service in Estonia, can be used and utilized by using a digital ID card or mobile phone-based mobile ID or smart device-based smart ID. And uh, it's up to end user to decide which digital authentication means they are trying to use or using or preferring. And it's about government to accept those different user means of uh, dealing with the digital services. Yes. And uh, as the last point, let's say, regarding these trends of digital transformation in the next years that were uh, sped up by the by the COVID pandemic, let's connect the last two points. For example, the one of the resilience and the one about um, operations anywhere and operations everywhere. So what is the connection? What is the strong tie and correlation between these two topics? Like why does one reinforce the other, both in terms of approaches and also potential outcomes? It is about digital first and remote first. Organizations no longer, and also the organization uh, technology that supports the organization, is not located in one physical building or one physical office. 
Anywhere operations are referring more and more to the operating model, which is designed to support not only customers everywhere, but also they need to enable employers to access their tasks and, and carry out the work everywhere where they are. And also, the finally very important, the IT infrastructure needs to be managed and deployed uh, in the distributed uh, manner so it can be managed and deployed wherever your technical capacities are. It's not very simple, actually, to, um, to deliver that um, anywhere operations approach uh, but it needs also to take into account the first pillar we were talking about, the user experience, especially the employer experience. So people feel really confident and com have comfort on using the systems when they are working on remotely outside of the offices. What comes to the third pillar, which we're talking about, the, the resilience it is very much about uh, building a very different uh, uh, set of uh, threat uh, analysis and understanding that when society in all spheres, in business to business communication and transaction, business to customer or government to citizen, uh, um, communication and service provisioning is using and utilizing more and more digital channels. The potential threat of uh, being uh, attacked with an, with a cyber uh, criminals is going to make more harm, and that means that uh, the design of resilience towards uh, maintaining your operations and keeping your, your systems running, not in the codependent way, but rather independent service channels, independent service provisioning uh, uh, solutions is very important to keep in mind so that with being attacked in one area, you won't be harmed in the overall area. And the most critical parts of course, telecommunication infrastructure, and second, in many countries, more and more importantly, the digital payments infrastructure. They are the ones which uh, need to operate and give the support also to all other means of digitalization. Perfect. And these and more and more other topics will be addressed, not only, of course, throughout the year and throughout the next months with our Digital Government podcast, but especially in the new eGovernance Academy conference for the next year. Yearly appointment, we know that it happens. It will happen again. This year was a particularly interesting one because we had to adapt very, very quickly to the changed environment of having to do a conference that was entirely digital. But next year, from May 18th to May 20th, there will be the new conference of e-governance academy. Uh, the e-governance conference of this year has as a title 
a digital decade in one year, which is basically the topic that we've been introducing today. And so, Nina, just to keep our listeners hooked, let's say, on uh, uh, this coming conference that will be in a hybrid format. So it will be a bit on the spot with some networking opportunities, but then also with many workshops online and seminars online. A tweet to conclude on the topic and in any case, keep the people interested in uh, getting to know more about the conference in the upcoming months. Our conference will focus on two topics. One is to recognize a new normality and to give really the understanding how the governments not only just coped with pandemic, but what is a new platform, what is a new level of digital maturity, what they achieved. And then the second big topic is how to move forward, how to utilize the momentum, how to uh, move forward from that new digital maturity level more inclusively, more resiliently, and with a better and better digital experience in mind. Perfect. Thanks, Linnar. And this was Federico Plantera. Thank you so much. Tune in to the next episode of the Digital Government Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by eGovernance Academy. Tune in on next Wednesday.